You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today. In our message today, we will talk about the recent activity in Israel concerning the red heifer. And we will talk about the ordinance of the ashes of the red heifer. For more information about our ministry, go to revivaltalk.org. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Numbers chapter 19. And I want to read the first 10 verses. We're going to talk about the ordinance of the ashes of the red heifer. How many of you have heard about the red heifers in Israel? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. We want to talk about that a little bit this morning. And I'm going to use a lot of scripture, and I'm, I'm going to talk about it in the beginning as it relates somewhat to what we call Bible prophecy and letting us know that we're near to the coming of the Lord. But then I want to talk about what it really means and how it is a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he may take it outside the camp. It shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. And he shall bathe in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. And the priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, store them outside the camp in a clean place and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification it is for the purification from sin and the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening and it shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them you may have heard or read about the red heifers there are five that were just sent from Texas to New York to Israel. And that was no small feat. They had to be observed for months here to make sure they had no disease. They had to be cleared through Israeli customs, which does not allow the import of cattle because of disease. They had to be trucked from Texas to New York, and then they had to be flown by American Airlines to Tel Aviv. And when they get to Tel Aviv, they have to go into a, another quarantine and they'll have to be kept. But these five red heifers were sent from Texas to Israel. Now, why are they important? The Jerusalem Post says five perfectly red heifers required for ritual purification of those who've touched a dead body arrived in Israel from a ranch in Texas on Thursday. As the Temple Institute continues preparations to lay the ground for the construction of the third temple in Jerusalem. Israel today says the ashes, and the ashes of the red heifer are necessary for purification prior to conducting sacrificial ceremonies. In other words, the presence of five unblemished red heifers, which are not exactly easy to find, means temple services could now theoretically resume if there was 
a temple. Then Israel today continues a representative from Bonai Israel. Bonai Israel is a group of Israeli, uh, Israelis, Jews, and Christians that have come together to search out all over the world for these five red heifers. Now, they've been red heifers before, but if they get two white hairs on them, it disqualifies them. They have to be pure. They have to be pure red heifers. And they've had them before, they thought, but as they would grow older, they would, they would be flawed. So now we have five. Now think about that. And these were raised by an evangelical Christian who loves Israel in Texas. I want you to see how Christians are involved in helping to fulfill prophecy. The newspaper Enet, which is a, it's a, it's a, it's an Orthodox Jewish publication. Listen to what they said. That a rich, ritually acceptable red heifer hasn't been seen in Israel for over 2,000 years. And now we have five. The cows were moved to a farm in Biet Shion. We've been there. Where they will be cultivated in hopes of growing a herd for future temple use. If successful, it is believed the farm will also become an attraction for Christian visitors. While the secular media didn't take much notice outside of the potential tourism benefits, the ultra-Orthodox Jewish media did. Israel's press is a lot like ours. It's left. But the ultra-Orthodox Jewish media took note. Listen to this. According to the religious news website Kippah, the rabbis were moved and some even wept at the sight of five unblemished red heifers being delivered to Israel by Christians no less. Now I believe this is an important fulfillment of prophecies. The ashes of the red heifer is to be used to prepare the priest to minister in the temple and to be used in the third temple. What I mean by the third temple? Well the first temple was built by Solomon. It was later somewhat rebuilt by Ezra during that time and in the, in the minor prophets in the Old Testament when they came back from captivity in Babylon. But then Herod came along and expanded it and made it magnificent. That was still considered the second temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD by, by the Roman general Titus. And there's been no temple in Israel ever since. And because there's no temple, there can be no animal sacrifices. The ashes of the red heifer are used. They're mixed with water. They're sprinkled on the person and they're used to make them ceremonially clean and they need that for the priest they need that for the Levites and for those who will work in the temple and they need that to dedicate the temple and for 2,000 years there's been no red heifer in Israel I would say we're close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ can you say amen now, a number of prophecy teachers, and there's a lot of debate about this, believe a third temple we rebuilt in Jerusalem. I got this quote from Dr. David Reagan. He says, Daniel refers to the temple when he says that a prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will enter it and stop the sacrifices in the middle of the tribulation. The Apostle Paul mentions it when he declares that the man of lawlessness will profane the temple by entering and declaring himself to be God. The third temple is also mentioned in the book of Revelation when John is told to measure it. That's a symbolic way of telling him to assess 
its spiritual conditions. And you can read about that in Revelations chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. But in Numbers 19, we are introduced to the ordinance of the red heifer. This was to be a perpetual ordinance to be kept by the Jewish people. This ordinance was the sixth offering to be added to the other five offerings that were given to Moses in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. First was the burnt offering, which represented total surrender. The second was the grain offering, which was a thanksgiving offering. The third was a peace offering, which represented peace with God. The fourth is a sin offering, which is a type of sanctification. And the fifth was the trespass offering, which represents salvation. The ordinance of the red heifer is the sixth major offering to be used at special times to cleanse from defilement. This offering is typical of the ongoing power of the blood of Jesus to keep us free from condemnation and guilt over past sins. John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The Holy Spirit is not in the business of condemnation. The Holy Spirit is in the business of drawing men and women, boys and girls to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jewish sources tell us there are 613 ordinances in the Old Covenant. There are 248 positive commands. There are 613 ordinances. And there are 365 negative commands. This is the 397th command of the Old Testament biblical commandments. Throughout the Bible, there's just passages that are hard to understand. They have an element of mystery to them. And when you study the ordinance of the ashes of the red heifer, it is one of those passages that is hard to kind of get our mind around and understand. But this passage of Scripture in Numbers 19 that I read to you earlier is a beautiful type of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is an Old Testament foreshadowing of the New Testament person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God gave this command to the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness waiting to go into the land of promise. This ordinance speaks to us of the blood of Jesus as the cleansing agent from the defilement contracted from our pilgrim walk through this world. Let's just be real today. Let's be honest today. We're affected by what we see. We're affected by what we hear. Sometimes we feel defiled by what comes over our television screen or what comes over our computer screen. Sometimes it's just no fault of our own by what we hear, what we touch, what we feel, and we feel defilement. But I've come to tell you this morning that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of Calvary, has the power and the ability to set you free and bring cleansing in the times we feel defiled. Can somebody shout amen? amen? We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a heavenly citizenship. God's word is ancient, but timeless. It's a book of history. Actually, it's pure history. And the word history simply means it's his story. But it's also a contemporary word for us today. This book's not just a museum piece. I love the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. I've been there many times. Actually, Beth and I are friends of the museum. 
and we can go anytime we're there. We can go down. And I like to go through the different floors and like to see the different Bibles and how the Bible came to be. And I like to go to one part where they're translating the Bible into every language and they want to have the New Testament in every language by 2033. And you can go and you can track that. They have a, a place in there. You can track that. And I appreciate what they do. And they say, we're not sectarian. We're not religious. We're not denominational. We just let the Bible stand on its own. And right in our nation's capital, we have a witness of the Word of God. But this is more than a museum piece. This is more than just an ancient book on our shelves. This book is a contemporary book. It's a book that speaks to our lives today. And we can stand on the Word. We can believe the Word. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, 63. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So this morning I want to speak to you from this book of life about three important parts of the ordinance of the ashes of the red heifer. Numbers 19.2 says the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded saying speak to the children of Israel they may bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect on which a yoke has never come. Let's look first of all at the red heifer itself. Jewish historians tell us that this red heifer had to be at least three to four years old. The older heifer was considered more kosher than the younger. It's been proven. There are no defects. There, there are no white hairs. There's, there's no mixture. They're pure red heifers. That's what they'll do with these five. They're about a year old. They'll watch them over the next few years and try to breed them and make sure that they are ceremonial, clean, and pure and can be used when the third temple is rebuilt. I personally believe the temple's going to be rebuilt. Rabbinical tradition says that there have been nine red heifers slain in Jewish history. We just don't know what mystery is going to be uncovered in the days ahead in Israel. We just don't know what the Lord is going to do in the days ahead. So there have been nine red heifers slain in Jewish history. There have been none since the destruction of the second temple in 70 A.D. Moses slew the first one. Ezra slew the second at the rebuilding of the second temple. And there were seven slain up until the destruction of the second temple in 70 A.D. But the hope is, listen to this, this is what the Jewish people hope. The hope is that the next one to be slain will be slain by the coming Messiah. Now, we know he's already come. His name is Yeshua, Yamashiach. His name is Jesus. They're still looking for him for the first time, and they believe that very well the Messiah could be the one that comes and slays the red heifer and uses his ashes to purify the temple. Numbers 19.2 says it shall be a heifer without spot. This heifer was to be pure without spot. If it had any white hairs at all, too, it was disqualified. Chapter 19, verse 2 says, without blemish. In no way could this animal have any blemish or defect. The animal must be healthy and whole to qualify for this sacrifice. I want you to note the words in verse 2, without spot and without blemish. This is a beautiful type of our Lord and Savior. It represents the spotlessness of Christ. This red heifer is a picture. It is an Old Testament picture. It is a shadow or a type. The fulfillment of that type is Jesus. 
The Bible refers to him in Hebrews 7, 26. Listen to what it says. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. The life of Christ was without spot or sin. He was perfect, holy, righteous, unlike us who were born into sin. You see, he was not the seed of Adam, but he was the seed of the woman. Original sin was not passed down to him. He was sinless. He was holy. He was harmless. He was also without blemish. Look at 1 Peter 1.19. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This innocent red heifer without spot and without blemish is a type of the sinless Son of God who became a sin offering for a sinful, fallen creation. We sing it this morning in the chorus. He became sin that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Numbers 19, 2 says, And upon ne- which never came a yoke. A yoke speaks of bondage and servitude. This speaks of the freedom that we can find in Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Come unto me, all you that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus liberates us from bondage. He liberates us from the bondage of sin. He liberates us from the bondage to fear. Listen, fear is being peddled in this nation. It is broadcast 24-7 across our airwaves. Everything we hear is meant to bring you into a spirit of fear and to keep you cowering fear. But I've come by to tell you, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He liberates us from the bondage to the flesh. Jesus Christ came to bring freedom to the captive, to set the captive free from the prison house of sin's bondage. So this heifer without a yoke represents the liberty and freedom that can only be found in Christ. John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 2 Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, this heifer is red. Red speaks of the humanity of Christ, while the heifer speaks of the humiliation of Christ. Jesus was the incarnate in flesh. God came down to man in the person of Christ. He was a man without sin. And it's important to note that the Bible refers to him as the seed of the woman. I said this earlier. He was not the seed of Adam, for in Adam all sin. But he was the last Adam. Where sin and death passed on to humanity because of Adam's sin, now life and peace flows from the provision of the cross because of the obedience of the last Adam. So this red heifer is a picture. It is a type of the sinless, perfect Son of God who came to this rebellious, sinful planet to die for humanity's sin. So let's notice the red heifer, but let's notice the priest. Look at verse 3 in Numbers 19. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger, sprinkle some of the blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. 
Now, the tabernacle of meeting is prior to the temple. It is the tent that Moses built, the tabernacle. We could take weeks and weeks and weeks and study the tabernacle, and I could show you Jesus in every part of that structure. It's a fascinating story. But notice this, the priest is to take the heifer outside the camp, and he watches as someone else slays the sacrifice. Priest is involved in the provision of the sacrifice. Notice he gives and he receives. Verse 3 gives us a double representation of Christ. He is the priest and he is the sacrifice. Eliezer is a picture of Jesus Christ who is our high priest passed into the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Jesus stood in three offices, prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled the three calls and offices of the old covenant prophet priest and king he came as a prophet he spoke prophetically he currently stands in the office of the priest because the bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us he's praying for us right at the right hand of the father at the throne of god but when he comes back he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords The first time he came, he came as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. But the next time he comes, he's riding a white horse. And he has on his thigh a name written that no man can know but he himself. And behind him will be tens of thousands by tens of thousands by tens of thousands. And he's coming to execute the justice of God. He's coming back. We serve a mighty Savior. He is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. You'll note that verse 3 is careful to tell us that the priest did not slay this sacrifice. This because the sacrifice is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the scriptures, sin demands a sacrifice. Jesus was the supreme sacrifice for our sins. In John 1.29, John the Baptist refers to him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation 5, 7, it calls him a lamb as it had been slain. The slaying of the red heifer was a type of the death of Christ at Calvary. Now I want you to notice that the slaying took place outside the camp. They had to go outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 12 says this, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Numbers 19, 4, it says the priest would take his finger and sprinkle the blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. Seven is the number of divine completion. Anytime you see seven in the Bible, it means it is a divine completion. This represents the completeness of the sacrifice of Christ and his complete fulfillment of the Old Testament law. The law has no power to save. The law only had power to convict. And nobody was perfect or could keep the law. But how many of you know Jesus kept the law? He not only kept it, but he fulfilled it. Let me read some scripture out of Hebrews chapter 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come... And not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. 
But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings from sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second, that we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Aren't you glad that you didn't have to bring a little lamb to church this morning? Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. I want to tell you that sin has been satisfied by the offering of the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the cross. And all we have to do is, by faith, appropriate that sacrifice. Our sins are forgiven. We are cleansed from defilement. We are cleansed from our sins. And the power of sin can be broken in our lives. Can somebody shout amen? In Numbers 19.3, we learn that the priest was the witness of slaying of the animal. This speaks to us of the horror of death. The death of Christ was awful to behold. It was horrible to those who witnessed it. We've sanitized death in our society today. We've made it easier for the family to deal with. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just the way it is. But I don't know that we really realize the horror of death. If you play video games, if you watch TV, I mean... You know, if you watch the old westerns, you know, some of them guys could kill 12 or 14 people with a six-shooter and not reload. Death has a, has a horror to it. Now, John Wesley said, our people die well. What's the difference? We die in the faith. But the death of Christ was awful to behold. It was horrible to those who witnessed this. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. Death is all horrible. It extracts a toll. The horror of death is seen in the cross. Jesus suffered a brutal death. Isaiah describes this brutality in Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The priest is an Old Testament picture of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who, according to Hebrews 4.15, says, can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities and weaknesses because he was tempted in all points just as we are. The next time you go through temptation, remember Jesus went through temptation. And he's touched by the things that touch our lives. So we've looked at the red heifer and the priest. Now let's look at the sacrifice. In Numbers 19.5, the heifer shall be burned in his sight. It's hide, it's flesh, it's bloods, and it's offal. The King James Version says it's dung. It talks about all the waste pieces of that animal that fall into the flyer shall be burned. The entire animal was burned. This represents complete sanctification. 
Jesus died so that the power of sin might be broken in our lives. We no longer have to live as slaves, as sinners under the dominion of sin. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Second Peter talks about that we partake of the divine nature of God. Now, I didn't say we were perfect. I didn't say that we can no longer sin. We still have the propensity to sin. We can still give in to the flesh. We can still give in to temptation. And we can still sin. But what I told you is, is you don't have to live under the thumbnail of sin. You don't have to live under the bondage of sin. And when this whole heifer was burned in the fire, it was a beautiful picture to us of what Jesus Christ would purchase at Calvary. Not only our forgiveness not only our cleansing but he purchased our overcoming power that we might be overcomers through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so this sacrifice included the flesh the blood and even the dung some of y'all looking at me and saying what in the world is he preaching this morning dung is refuge and other stuff the new king James calls it the offal These parts represent the sensitivities of the self-life as we are sacrificed to Christ. See, that's what sanctification is about. It's about death to our flesh. It's about death to that self-life. I have to lay self on the altar. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies... A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The skin and the flesh speak to us of our carnal inclinations. The blood speaks of life. Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. They can take your blood and do all kinds of tests on your blood and find out all kinds of things about you. They can look at your DNA. They can look at things in your blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. That, we were learning that in the Old Testament long before medical science ever learned those lessons. The blood of this heifer speaks to us of our carnal inclinations. The blood speaks of life. It speaks to us of the living principle of sin, the dung speaks to us of the outcome of our past life. All of these are incinerated with a sacrifice. This represents our entire sanctification, body, soul, and spirit. This sacrifice is a type of Christ, our sanctifier, who breaks the power of sin in our lives. Look at Numbers 19, 18. A clean person. She'll take hyssop and dip it into the water, sprinkle it on the tent, and all the vessels and on the persons who were there or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The water represents the word of God. Jesus said in John 15, 3, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. As you read this word, It will wash over your heart. It will wash over your mind. And it will make you clean. If you want your mind renewed, you don't get your mind renewed by coming to the altar and getting zapped by the Holy Spirit. You get your mind renewed as you meditate and study the Word. Attitudes, prejudices, 
strongholds, things that we think are okay. As you Listen, as you progress in this walk with God, things that you did 30 years ago, you can't do them anymore because you know that was wrong now. I'm at a place where I'm closer to God. Things years ago that I would have watched in a movie or on TV, my heart would be condemned if I looked at that now. Why? Because in this walk of faith, I have walked closer and closer and closer to the Lord. And the more I've walked closer to Him, the more He's unveiled His heart to me. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 26. That He may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You know what Hosea said? He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I shared this with you when I preached about joy the other day in Nehemiah chapter 8. And I told you that they stood on their feet for hours. I mean for hours. Six, seven, eight hours they stood on their feet. And you know what they did? They read the word because the word had been neglected. And the Bible said that all those that were there in Jerusalem with Ezra and Nehemiah, they wept. They wept. And Nehemiah spoke and said, Don't weep. This day is a holy day unto the Lord. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word will change our life. Change our perspective. So the sacrifice of the red heifer is a type of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Dying from our freedom. From the yoke and the bondage of sin. And let me finish this up with Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer. Sprinkling the unclean. Sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Stand with me.